Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Yeah, the family tree. You know, if you read, if you read the Christmas story in, uh, in the Gospels, you know, namely we're looking at the Gospel of Matthew and you look in the Gospel of Luke, you see that there are some prophecies that have unfolded and they're from wasn't You weren't expecting that today. Like last week we talked about Revelation, probably weren't expecting that. You weren't expecting that the pastor was going to talk about a passage from Micah. Can we look at this one though? It's real good. It's real good. It's better if we have a dialogue, all right? It's better. I don't like monologues. I know, again, it's a holiday service, but let's make this a dialogue just like it's you and me and we're having a conversation. And this is what the prophet says. Micah, by the way, if you are with, you know, you're, you're going to have a child. This is a good, I don't know any Micahs, right? Maybe this is a name you want to throw in the hopper. All right, maybe not. Forget y'all. But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. Can I give it to us in the, like a more modern translation in the vernacular of our day? Can I go to the Message Bible? If you've never read a Bible and you just, you're just you reading this on the screen and you're going, I don't totally get it. All right, this is the NIV translation. You're like, I don't even know what that means. That's cool. All right, this is a translation. They, the, the author tried to put it in the language of our day. Look how he put this. But you, Bethlehem, David's country. I love this. The runt of the litter. Isn't that good? From you will come the leader who will shepherd rule Israel. He will be no upstart, no pretender. His family tree, look at this. His family tree is ancient and distinguished. I'm not going to read the whole, the, the, the rest of that, but you get the idea. And thus where the title of my sermon came from, right here, the family tree. Can I tell you when it's talking about Bethlehem here, how many of you use TripAdvisor? Use TripAdvisor, are you going somewhere, right? Maybe you're going to go visit somewhere. Am I in the right, am I in America? Does anybody use TripAdvisor? No, maybe I'm the only, right? And you check some stuff out and you want to see, right? You check out, where am I going? And you want to see what other reviews like. And you, you, ever, you ever sit there and read some of the reviews of a place you're going to? Like a place and you're like, or maybe you should wait till after the fact and you're kind of scared when you see. Do you understand this is almost like TripAdvisor? Like, hey, Bethlehem is like, it's a, I don't know, it's a one Walmart town. It's the kind of place that when you're driving on the highway, you don't want to stop and check it out. You want to just keep going, right? You don't want to stay there. It's the runt of the litter. But we're here for Christmas, and what's amazing is God does some incredible, magnificent things in places that we would never expect. How about your life? He wants to do things this coming year in places that you have no idea, that you would never expect, you would never anticipate. Because that's who God is, and that's kind of what he does. And I love this here when it talks about the fit. Can we talk about Christmas trees? Y'all mind if I talk about Christmas trees a little bit this morning? 
And I broke this up into three categories because there's three types of people. Y'all, you can get that ready in a second. The first category we have of people with Christmas trees, how many of y'all like to go out and you need to... Why are are y'all laughing? Oh, you know exactly where I'm going. How many of y'all, I'm going to show you a clip, right? Let's just watch the clip because if you haven't seen this movie yet this year, you need at least a minute and a half and then we'll unpack it. Go ahead, show it. First category. Dad, didn't they invent Christmas tree lots so people wouldn't have to drive all the way out to nowhere and waste a whole Saturday? They invented them, Russ, because people forgot how to have a fun, old-fashioned family Christmas and are satisfied with scrawny, dead, overpriced trees that have no special (sighs) meaning. My toes are numb. You see, kids, this is what our forefathers did. I can't feel my leg. They walked out into the woods, they picked out that special tree, and they cut it down with their bare hands. Mom, I can't feel my hips. Clark. Yes, honey? Audrey's frozen from the waist down. That's all part of the experience, honey. There it is. The Griswold family Christmas tree. Isn't it a little big? It's not big, it's just full. Dad, that thing wouldn't fit in our yard. Not going in our yard, Russ. It's going in our living room. <sighs> Look at it. It really is beautiful, Clark. Something else, huh, Russ? Yeah, Dad. Isn't it beautiful, Audrey? She'll see it later, honey. Her eyes are frozen. Most enduring traditions of the season are best enjoyed in the warm embrace of kith and kin. The three are the symbol of the spirit of the Griswold family Christmas. Dad, did you bring a saw? And kill the Christmas tree, but you want the live Christmas tree. You want the street cred. You want people to know that you have a real Christmas tree in your house. You want the cheeseburger, but you don't want to see them kill the cow. Right? Come on, how many of you, you want to go to Home Depot and you want to get your Christmas tree? How come there, I I don't know if there are, so tell me after the service, how come a stand-up comedian has not taken this idea that I'm talking about and like Sebastian Maniscalco? 
I want to send this to him, what he would do with this. How much fun. And I'm thinking about it. I'm going to send him some of this material because I'm laughing about it, right? You know what we do? We get that Christmas tree in our house. Did you ever think, like, you look at the tree, right, how beautiful it is, right? This week, your tree is beautiful. And then on December 26th, you wake up and go downstairs, and you're like, what? There's a Christmas tree in my house. And then it's like a mob hit. Do you ever think of, right, 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 we take the live Christmas tree and we get the bag around it, right, and we just kind of drag it off to the curb and we take it and we're like, that's it, I'm done with you, I can't stand you, it's so ugly, and there are pine needles all over the place, it's like a mop hit, come on, who knows what I'm talking about, right, you think about it, and maybe you're in the, how many show of hands who's in the second category? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, and then there's the third category, and these are the people that are going to heaven. Did I just say that? If you have a fake Christmas tree, yeah, yeah, I, I knew my people were here. Hey, listen, for those of you that have the live Christmas tree, you know why I have the fake Christmas tree? Ready, ready, ready? Pre-lit. Pre-lit. Oh, oh, so for me, right, can I, should I tell them the story of the Miller Place house? I'm going to tell it real quick, right? We bought our first house, no kids, we had a dog, it's Megan and I, oh, it's going to be a beautiful Christmas, and it's time to go get the Christmas tree, and we go out, and we get the Christmas tree, and this guy, some of you will not be surprised, I bought a Christmas tree that was too big for the room that we were putting it in, right? Clark Griswold style, but what? You would probably do, because y'all are a lot smarter than me. I took the tree outside, no joke. I took a saw from the garage, and I sawed the bottom of the Christmas tree. And then the Christmas tree was useless. I had to go out and buy a second live Christmas tree, and that is a truth. And I'll never forget, the dog was behind me, and I'm sawing away. And I remember just looking back, and the dog was kind of looking up at me like, are you serious right now with this? Anybody, you had an experience like that before? Anyway, the last category, right? An artificial Christmas tree, pre-lit. Did y'all know that in the Lecce house, I don't have one fake Christmas tree, I have two. Jeff, Jeff, you know, can you guess? I am married to that woman, that beautiful woman on the front row. I have a small Christmas tree. What do you think that Christmas tree is decorated with? Come on, Jeff, don't get it. Don't help him! Jeff! You're on the spot, brother. You're Disney. You are right there, brother. How many of you have a Disney Christmas tree in your house? I didn't think so. Right? And I'm thinking about ways that I can infect the characters on that tree just to get rid of them, to give them the flu or something, just to get them out of my house. But an artificial tree. How many of us know, can we get to the real point, how many of us know at the end of the day that Christmas looks so much better from a distance? How many of us know that Christmas looks so much better from a distance? You know, we talked last week, if you weren't here, listen, and I appreciate it because last week it was pretty serious in here, and we talked about a home invasion. I was glad, many, I got a lot of texts, a lot of messages from people that said, I'll never look at the manger the same way again. That was my goal. 
That was the goal, to look at Revelation 12 and that there's a dragon there and that this really, there was a war that was taking place from the invasion and we don't see that on Christmas cards. We don't see that in movies. What we see is a sanitized version of what the first Christmas was really about. Christmas looks better from a distance. It does. And you think about what was going on. Come on, think about what was going on at, at, the, at the first Christmas, right? Because Bette Miller was right that it, it's better from a distance, right? Got to give Bette Miller a little love, right? From a distance. I'm not going to sing the song for you, <laughs> but you know where I'm coming from. And you think about it, though. You think about what the first Christmas was actually like. I, can I repeat a little bit of what I said last week? Remember what I told you before when it comes to communication that we under, right? We, we don't talk enough about the same topic. We should be talking about it 10 times. So what I tell you today, I should literally be telling you 10 more times for us to really get it. That Mary was between the age of 13 and 15 years old. She's a young girl. She's not this old girl. And I know I get so sick and tired on what I want. I'm going to make one of my AP art students do this at school, Jamal Walcott took my message last week and he actually made a video out of this and it has a dragon in it and it's much it's a little scary it's kind of cool what he did but I want somebody to make a real picture of a manger scene I don't want white glow in the dark baby Jesus I don't want the white parents that are there have we seen a manger scene where you see two Middle Eastern parents there we don't see that because we have sanitized the story and we change it and there's no blood that's anywhere and we don't talk about the real message of what happened that first Christmas that this young teenage girl that was betrothed to this guy named Joseph that he was and they weren't together y'all so think about what life was like you have this older guy who has not been with this girl everybody everybody in the community would have known it what was it like again for them to talk about what had happened no you don't understand an angel visited me yeah sure an angel visited you mary yeah that makes a lot of sense oh you have the messiah inside oh i see mary that makes so much sense do you know what historians and scholars talk about? That when Jesus grew up, I have to say the phrase for you, it may shock you a little bit, but this is real, that Jesus would have been known as the son of a bastard? Because he would have been somebody that people would have been constantly asking, at least I know who my daddy is, who's your daddy? It was a small community. I'm sorry, I just blew somebody's mind. Because you didn't know that was part of the story. That was part of what Jesus' life was like. And we don't really talk, because remember, Christmas looks better from a distance. You know, and we, we look at, we look at, we go into Luke chapter 2, and we go into Matthew chapter 2. Can I give us a sermon on something I never, pre you know, I've talked about it before, but I never preached a Christmas message on it. Can we look at Matthew chapter 1? Can we look at Matthew? And some of you are like, I don't know, whatever. I don't know what Matthew chapter 1 is. That's fine. This is a place, whether you know the Bible well, you don't know the Bible at all, that you'll get something out of this and God will speak to you, right? Can I just pull out a couple of verses? Anybody you ever tried to read the Bible before, full by, you know, you know, cover to cover, you tried to read it in a year? Come on, how many? Anybody you try to do that, right? And you get to certain parts, like the begets, and this person begat this one, this person begat that one, and you're like, right, it makes you want to fall asleep. Right? Did somebody print the names out in the, in, the, you know, in the white pages and they just you know, threw them in there? That's kind of what this is. But here's what I want us to see. 
I'm only going to give us a couple of passages. The first one, one through three, Matthew one through. It says, "This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar." Now, this is kind of weird when we see this. This really doesn't make much sense when you look at this genealogy. Let's look at a couple of more verses, uh, five and six. Uh, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Can I give us one more? One more, the final one in the passage. Again, I know some of you are like, come on, preacher, keep me in this, keep me in this. Just one more, 16, 17. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Yo, you know what this is? If you had asked Jesus, Jesus, what is this in Matthew chapter 1? Jesus would say, this is my family tree. This is my family tree. This is what he'd say. These are all the people, like, just like, you know, I know in our day, what do we do? You know, it's kind of like a novelty. What do we do? We go on like Ancestry.com. How many of you have done that before? Okay, nobody again. Maybe I should bring this message to another part of the world. I mean, other people. But we go to Ancestry.com and you find out, I read even an article in the Wall Street Journal, they were saying there's a good chance you're related to somebody that was on the Mayflower. And I was like, all right, yeah, great. Well, how does that change my life? Does it really change my life? Maybe it changes yours. But you think about the world in which we live in and we don't care as much about our genealogy as they did in the first century. Can I tell us that historically? They cared so much more about where you came from. And if you had a good lineage, it would open up doors for you. And if you did not, it would close doors for you and it would exclude people. It would keep people out. That's the way it was in the first century. That's the way it was when Jesus was on the earth. And it's kind of like, I think about it, it's kind of like in our day, we'd say it's like a resume, right? You think about a resume, right? Or, you know, if you're a graphic designer, maybe it's your portfolio, it's what you have in there. So it's a big deal back then. And here's the thing historically you have to understand. All people would have cared about, all you had to do was say that you were linked to King David, the greatest king in the history of Israel. You had to prove that you were linked to him, that you came from him. And if you did that, people were okay with things. I want you to notice in this genealogy that they, he goes, Matthew goes all the way, the tax collector goes all the way back to Abraham. Really, we get Abraham, father Abraham, had many sons. We get it, Matt. We get it, yo. Many sons had father Abraham. And I, no, we're not singing the whole song. But he goes all the way back. Matthew, you don't need to do that. All you need to do is to show that the Messiah has come through. There's a link that comes through David. And you look at some of these branches. And some of these branches on Jesus' tree are twisted. There's no other way around it. Thinking of a word awake, and I'm going, you know what? These branches are twisted. And you know what they would do in the first century? They would creatively curate their genealogies just like we would do with our resumes. Wait, wait, no, I'm not talking to anybody in here. Nobody in here would ever embellish or change anything on their resume. 
but maybe people in the church across the street, people down the road, they would do things like that, and people would change things. We know in our world, right, Steve? You put your best foot forward. Am I right? You put your best foot forward on that resume. That's why I loved, I don't know how many of you heard the story, there was a story of a Princeton professor. This went viral, and what the guy did is fascinating. You see, he took on his CV, curriculum vita, which is similar to a resume, it's just a little bit lengthier, it's more pages, maybe you never heard that before, but it's like a resume. And here's this brilliant guy, and you know what he did and why it went viral? He took all of the things that, like the, the programs he didn't get into, let me show you, this is his face here, this guy, this is what he did. He put down degree programs I didn't get in, awards and scholarships I didn't get, paper rejections from academic journals, and people love this. This guy is brilliant. But he said we live in a world where all we talk about is our successes. How about we talk about some of our failures? How about it, church? We talk about some of our failures. There's not, nobody is perfect. So he said, instead of putting my best foot forward, I'm going to talk about and show the world who I really am. Do you realize that's what's going on in this gospel? Do you realize Jesus, when he came into the world and Matthew was writing about it and Matthew was telling us the story, Matthew was saying, Jesus Christ, it was the same exact thing that Jesus wanted to almost flaunt how twisted his genealogy was, how twisted the family tree was. Can we look at some, how twisted it was now? Look at this. I read this before, but look at this. Look at how crazy this is. It says there in the second verse going down into three, it says, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now you may go, I don't know who these characters are. That's great. So Judah is the father of Perez and the mom is Tamar. Oh, they must be a cute little family. Okay. Would you like to hear about their family? Okay, so Judah is Tamar's father-in-law, and you see, um, they got together and they made these children. He, now, in his defense, he, didn't, he thought it was a prostitute. Oh, gosh. Oh, is this, like, is this, this is in the Bible? Is this really in the Bible? This is in the Bible. Church, you know what this would be called? We would call this today scandal. This is on Jesus' tree. Scandal. Look at the first branch on Jesus' tree. I need you all to see this. Scandal. The father-in-law is with the daughter-in-law and they have kids even though he didn't think. Really? This is crazy. This is the first branch. Scandal. Let's see if I can actually put this back up. I don't know. Pray for me. There it is. That's branch number one. How about we move? What did I do with my clicker? There it is, right? And you go from branch number one. How about branch number two? Look at this. You go down to the bottom, right? Uh, it says Boaz the, father, or, uh, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And Ruth, by the way, she's a Moabite. She's a foreigner. You never, you never listed women. That's one. Women were never part of genealogies. And number two, I want you to see there are foreigners in Jesus' line, which was something any devout Jew would say was off limits. You didn't intermarry. Jesus wants us to see how twisted his family tree is. And you look at this, it says, David is the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. But back up, y'all, back up to Rahab in verse 5. It says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Oh, 
Oh, Mike, should I tell them who Rahab was? Some people don't know. I mean, it's so bad. Her, her name even, you type Rahab in on your phone. You know, I type it in. It, it, it says rehab. <laughs> I type it in, right? Let me, can I, can I pull this off? See, oh, geez. No, you weren't supposed to. Just leave it. Just leave it, y'all. Do you, you notice when I do sermons, I don't know if I'm going to live it. I don't know if I'm going to live through it. I was so quick, though. I knew that was going to happen. I was able to step out of the way just in time. Here's number two. I don't need them up. It's okay. Prostitution. You know what the Bible says of this woman, Rahab, who's part of Jesus' family tree? It says, she's mentioned seven times in the Bible. Five of the seven times, she's described as a harlot. Oh, a harlot? You see, when the children of Israel were going, you know, they're going to take down Jericho, you know, the walls of Jericho, and they're going to come down. She is somebody in her household. They're going to be saved. There are spies that go in and they spy out the land and they come across this woman. The Bible is amazing and it doesn't really edit anything. It doesn't sanitize what really happened. It tells us the truth that a prostitute was used by God to help save the children of Israel. Did you hear what I said? You would think they want, that God would say, I need some cover-up for this biblical blemish. Can we just call her a caretaker or she's the best hostess maybe in Jericho? No, she's called a harlot. She's called a prostitute. This is part of Jesus' family tree, prostitution. You have scandal. Let's put that down there. You have prostitution. What kind of story is God telling and then you go to branch number three. Can I go to the final branch? Final branch. Look at this. Look at verse six. And it says, and Jesse, the father of King David. That's it. Jesse, the King David. You got it. Matthew, you're good. Matthew, stop. Stop writing. You don't have to write anything else. You've connected the Messiah to David. We're all good here. No, he continues. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Why are you mentioning some marriage? That's not relevant here, Matt. I want to sit Matthew down when I get to heaven. Yo, Matt, what was up here in verse 6? Why did you write about this? And why did you mention this is Uriah's wife? Who is this? Who are we talking about? Bathsheba. How many of you heard the name before? The author wants us to know the Holy Spirit wants us to know how twisted Jesus' family tree is. If you don't know the story, David, the, the Bible says when kings were supposed to be out and fighting in wartime in the spring, he was home and he's sitting on his, on his rooftop and he's looking around at all the people and he sees a woman that's bathing her name is Bathsheba. And he goes over, and who's this guy, Uriah? This is one of his mighty men who he sends into battle to the front lines and murders him. He doesn't do it with his own hands, but understand, in Jesus' family tree, you have scandal, you have prostitution, and you have murder, and you have adultery. Do you understand when the Messiah was walking the face of the earth, he did not have 100% pure Jewish blood running through his veins? Merry Christmas! I'm giving you the real Christmas story two weeks in a row in a way, just, I'm just giving it differently. Merry Christmas! Scandal, adultery, and Jesus says, 
this is my family tree. Look at my family. This, these are all the people. This is exactly where I came from. Do you like it? And it's interesting too when you think about, you think about a tree. You think about a tree because isn't that where things went wrong with humanity? Can we go back all the way? Remember in Genesis? Remember humanity, man and woman in the garden. What happens in the garden? John, what happens in the garden? Nothing good. I like that, John. Nothing good happens in the garden. And humanity falls because of another tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that reminds me of a story, y'all. Australia. You can't make this stuff up. I'm sorry. I'm going to ruin your Christmas tree for the next couple of days. I'm going to ruin it. And I, want, I couldn't wait to tell you this story, okay? Right? Sorry. That's terrible. Certain things you should keep to yourself as a preacher. I just, I love y'all so much that I have to give you the truth. So there's a woman that comes down. How many of you, like, I love to come down in the morning when the Christmas tree is up, though, when it's quiet, when Nolan is sleeping in the morning, and Jameson's sleeping, and Megan is sleeping, and it's just me, right? It's just me. How many of you are like that? You want to just come downstairs, right? And have a nice moment. Well, imagine this woman. This went viral. Imagine this, this woman in Australia comes down and there she is, she's staring at her Christmas tree. Oh gosh, it looks so lovely. And then she looks behind the tinsel, Scott, and what does she see? Oh, it just happens to be a snake! You want another picture? There it is, there's the head, right? Okay, this is a real story. This is a real story. This just happened to be Cliff, a tiger snake, one of the most venomous, poisonous snakes in the world. Oh, and if you, I don't have time, but if you go online, you can watch, because I saw this, I, you can't make this up, you see that she, call, she runs out of the house, which is the wise, prudent thing to do, runs out of the house, calls like this, this snake reptile catcher, why you want to live in Australia, I don't know, it's beautiful, I'm sure, I'm not living there, most poisonous animals in the world, thank you, love, that's great, living here, okay, nowhere's perfect, but okay, maybe San Diego, and listen, listen, the guy comes in the house, and I couldn't get a picture, the guy just grabs the thing, like it's like nothing, like it's a toy snake, and grabs it and puts it in the bag, and I'm like, dude, are you kidding me, you get bit by that thing, you're done, just grabbed it, didn't really care. But it makes me think of what the Bible says in Genesis. Look what it says in Genesis. Going back to the beginning of the story. Then the woman said to the serpent, when the serpent came in, right? And it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the serpent is telling, telling Eve, you know what? God's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to eat this tree. Because when you eat of this tree, you're going to be just like him, right? And and we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. How crazy is that? Do you realize when man and woman, when they fell in the garden, they didn't die physically because they would live for many more years. They died spiritually. 
When they ate from that tree, they died spiritually. There was a disconnection. The Bible says that God would walk with man in the cool of the day. There was a connection. There was a bond that was broken. And ever since that point, God was looking. God was longing. God was groaning. For he knew before the foundations of the world that the Lamb of God, Jesus, would be slain. But God was working and trying to maneuver and saying, what am I going to do? He knew what he was going to do the whole time. But it's going, how do I bring back? How do we get back? back to the way it was before man fell in the garden. And I love this next part where it says in three, four, when God is doling out punishment, talks to the woman, but then look what he says to the serpent, right? So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Man, I love this. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Because God is telling the enemy, oh, don't worry, I have a plan and it's going to unfold. And one day you need to understand, I'm going to crush your skull, enemy. I'm going to crush your skull. Do you understand that's what the Christmas invasion is? The Christmas invasion is a message that, hey, he's coming. The Messiah is coming. Jesus Christ is indeed coming. And he stayed true to that. I love how C.S. Lewis puts it. Look what Lewis says. He says, Adam was very much like a Christmas tree, cut off from its roots, brought into the house and decorated. In some ways, it may look better in the house than in the wild. But what happened when it was cut from the source of life will show sometime after New Year's. The truth of the matter is that it was often called a living tree, but it was dead when it was cut off from the source of life. And so it is with man. Merry Christmas. You should take that and just ruminate on that for the rest of the day. Right through Christmas, you don't need to read anything else. This is preaching a lot right here. Are you kidding me? And Lewis is talking about the fact how we are separated but here's the thing that we need, un- we need to understand. We, we, we can't leave without really seeing this. Do we understand that when you look at all the scandal, you look at you know, prostitution, murder, and adultery, do we understand, and I want our kids to know this, that God's gift did not go under the tree. You see, what happened 2,000 years ago is God's gift went on a tree, church. That's the most tepid clap I've ever heard in my life. Y'all should be on your feet clapping for what Jesus Christ did. Are you kidding me? You see, Christmas is about the invasion, which ultimately ends in a cross. And Christmas is not about presents. It's about a person. And God says, I'm going to send myself into the world. You see, we are disconnected. And half of the problem is we don't have a real understanding of what salvation means. If I hear one more preacher get up and talk about, yeah, you know what? You have to just say this prayer, and then one day you're going to go to heaven. Are they in, is that accurate? Yeah, that is accurate when you accept what Jesus Christ did. You accept his salvific work on the cross. Yes. But can I tell us that Christianity is so much more robust than that? It is so much bigger than that. Salvation is not mainly about us getting into heaven. It's about heaven getting into us. Oh, oh, oh. We always think it's just about, like, it's like, you ever sit in a car with your kids? Music team, you can start to come up. I'm going to wrap up. Do you ever sit in the car with your kids and your kids, how much longer till we actually get there? 
Dad, how much longer? I, you know, shut up. We're going to get there soon. Come on, how many of you, you know what I'm talking about? Do you know that's how so many people live the Christian life? So many people live the Christian life like it's, I accept what Jesus did, and then how much, when am I going to actually get to the other side and experience real life? Philosopher, Christian philosopher, I love this guy, UC Berkeley, by the way, Christian, head of philosophy at UC Berkeley, his name is Dallas Willard, he had a phrase, and I love this, he said that eternity is always in session, love this. He said, why do we wait for one day to experience real life? Salvation is not that you're going to go to a place one day. It's that you can experience the life of Jesus Christ from moment to moment to moment to moment to moment that his life can be lived with you. He's going to live with you. He's going to live in you. He's going to live through us. How come we miss that all the time? We do. And I just, you know... I was even thinking about it this morning. It's almost like I have the entrance application. Here it is to get into heaven. God, Peter's at the pearly gate. A picture of heaven too is so ridiculous. Church, I don't, some of you I don't see that often, so I just got to say this quick. Our picture of what heaven is going to be like is so distorted that we're going to sit on a cloud and we're going to sip a you know, pina colada and we're going to play with a harp for 10 million billion years. I don't know about you, but that's hell. That doesn't sound like heaven to me. Maybe that's your idea of what heaven would... No, that's not my idea of heaven. That's not the Bible's idea. It's much bigger than that. It's much more interesting than that. Why do we mess it up and why do we distort it? And if you're somebody that's in here today and you heard this message, you see the reason why Jesus' family tree is all distorted. Why is it all twisted? Because Jesus wants us to know no matter how far you are, no matter what you've done in your life and how bad you messed it up, you're in good company. Come on, church. It's not about being a good person. If I hear one more person too say, it's, well, I'm a good person. It's not about being a good person. You want me to just pull quotes out of my head, right? Alexander Solzhenitsyn, great ru Christian Russian writer. Talked about, he said, there, there's a dividing line between good and evil because we just go, well, I'm not, wait, Hitler's supposed to go and Stalin, all these really bad people. No, 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 he was right. There's a dividing line in every single human heart between good and evil. Every single one of us, we all have evil that's inside here. None are good enough to earn going into heaven. It's not something you earn. But so many people live that way. I'm a good person. Look at all the things I do. I help out. The, that's great that you do all that. This is not a, this isn't salvation by, by works, works righteousness. I'm sorry, that doesn't work. And if you're somebody in here too, can I just say this? Maybe you're an atheist. You don't believe in God. Because that, that's fine. That's cool. I respect that. Maybe you're agnostic. You believe in the possibility of a higher power. Can I say this? Can I go to my 17th century French mathematician slash philosopher, Blaise Pascal? You know what he said? He came up with something. He wrote about it. And he called it the wager. You know what the wager was? He said, man, there are, infinitely, there are infinite more reasons to take a shot at this to say, you know what, I'm going to go all in with this. I'm going to try this. I'm going to give my life over to Jesus Christ. What I'm going to lose. If this isn't true, then I'm still doing good things and I'm still a good person. I'm trying to do my best. I'm trying to help fellow man, right? The other side, though, people, why? I mean, it's so simple. It's not really when you read what he writes. I'm really distilling it, trying to make it really simple. Come on, y'all. There are a million reasons. But 
salvation is much bigger, it's much broader than just accepting Jesus Christ. But let's, let's, let's bow our heads now. Maybe, that's, maybe you're in here and you've messed things up pretty bad. And you feel like your life, you can identify with what we had on this tree today. Maybe it's your family tree. Maybe there are people that, you know, in your past, and maybe you didn't have the best father. Maybe you didn't have the best mother. I don't know. We don't do this a lot in our church. But maybe that's you. And maybe you've messed up so bad and you feel like you're so far from God. You know what? I'm here and somebody dragged me to come into this meeting today. Well, I would say to you, this could be an opportunity between you and God that you can start, that eternity is now in session, that you can begin the process of living eternity. You see, when Jesus came, he was the kingdom bringer. He wasn't just bringing salvation. as we, He was bringing the kingdom of God to the kingdom of earth. He was showing us how to live a different life. It's not about being a good person. It's about being transformed by another person. And his name is Jesus. I can't give the gospel any clearer than I'm giving it today. I can't. I can't give it any clearer. But if that's you and you feel like, you, I'm not making you come up here. I hate when preachers do that too. I'm sorry. I hate when preachers do that. You can sit in your seat though. I, I'll talk to you after. If that's somebody and you're like, I don't really know about this whole thing. I haven't really decided in my heart. And maybe you're even far from God. You can say today, and we just let, let's just close our eyes again. Let's, let's bow our heads. Lord, just, you can just repeat after me. Lord, I, I realize, Lord, that I'm a sinner and I'm far from you. Lord, I want to be reconnected. I want that life, Lord. I realize I'm spiritually dead, Lord, like, like a dead tree. Father, I want to experience real life, and I accept what Jesus Christ did on that cross. And Lord, now your life can live in me. I don't have to wait until I die to experience eternal life. I can experience it right now with you, Father. That's the message all for Christmas this year. That's the message. And remember... Tell your kids when you talk about Christmas, hey, listen, you're gonna get it, you're gonna have a lot of fun, you're gonna be opening presents, doing a lot of great things. But remind your kids about what Christmas ends in. That it ends in Jesus going to the cross and it ends in an empty tomb. Because ultimately at the end of the day, we're an Easter people. I don't care what the what, what the enemy is trying to tell you this morning, what he's told you this past week. He is a liar and he's under your feet. So stop picking up your feet and looking to see what he's saying because he is a liar and God has it figured out. You are in the right spot. I don't care what you've done. I don't care if you have murder in your background. I don't care if you were a prostitute. I don't care if you committed adultery. You are not too far from God. That's the good news of the gospel, y'all. We are going to... We are going to... We are going to sing a song as we leave here today. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.